Welcome to the Limitless Grit Podcast, where we have conversations with social entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and ordinary people who are achieving extraordinary results. And now, here is your host, Shristi Gajarel. Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome to the new episode of the Limitless Grid Podcast. So the goal with my podcast is to interview people who define what it means to be courageous. My dream is to have conversations with people who dare to live life in their own terms and share their story and share their journey with you guys. So today's guest truly, truly defines this concept. So Ravi Raman is a veteran of Microsoft Corporation, where he worked for more than 14 years. He led product management and marketing team for various global software products. And what makes him so unique and what attracted me towards his story is that Ravi left Microsoft when he was on top of his game. Ravi left Microsoft because he wanted to follow his dream of traveling and impacting people's lives. So in today's podcast, Ravi talks about his experience working in Microsoft and what made him quit his job and travel the world with his wife when he was in his 30s. Ravi also talks about why people should not quit their job and travel the world, finding one's purpose, his favorite book, and how long do experts or Nobel Prize winners spend every single day on their craft. So we touch on different topics and guys, I got so much out of this conversation and I've implemented some of the concept in my life. So I hope you guys get out of this conversation as much as I have. And without further ado, Ravi Raman. All right, Ravi, welcome to the show. So for people who don't know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks a lot for having me. Thank you. And so I'm Ravi Raman. I'm an executive coach and what I'm really about is helping people build lives that have great meaning, build careers that they can be proud of. And some, for some people, that means finding a great new job. Others, it means just unlocking greater performance or even happiness in their current job. I um, So I'm Indian. Uh, I was born in America, first generation American. My parents immigrated from India to a small town in Pennsylvania, and that's where I was born and raised. I went to school at Penn State University, and from the time I was a little kid, I always wanted to be a financier, work on Wall Street. I was sort of strange. I mean, what kid wants to go (laughs) be in finance? That was me, actually. I was that kid. I used to be, back in the early 90s, I did these you know, you were get you did. It was like fantasy baseball, but it was fantasy stock market where you'd have fake money and buy and sell stocks. So I did that as a kid, as a hobby. And somewhere along the way in college, I I had always been a, a technology geek. I taught myself coding. I built a website for my high school back when no one had websites. And somewhere along the line, I realized that while I could go and do the finance route. What I really loved was technology, and that led me to a job at Microsoft that I started, and I never left. I went there as an intern after my sophomore year of – after my junior year of college, and I I never went back to school. I finished my degree part-time. They hired me full-time right after my internship, and I stayed there for almost 14 years um, as a product manager. I did different things. I was Mm -hmm. a financial analyst. I did strategy I ran product management and product planning teams 
for our products, you and some of your listeners may use things like Microsoft Office, Microsoft <laughs> Windows, cloud stuff. And I loved it. And I loved it for a long time until I realized that I needed to do something different. And that's what led me and my wife to make the decision to get off the career track we were both on and do something different. And at the time, we didn't know what that different thing would be. We just needed to t take space. We needed some space from our daily work to figure it all out. And it started as a, well, my wife resigned from her job and I went on a sabbatical from Microsoft thinking I would go back after a few months and realized, you know, this wasn't going to be a few months. It was going to be a year-long process. I, I thought it might be six months. Ended up being almost a year and a half where my wife and I, we backpacked all over the world and in our 30s did something that some people do before college or mm. after college, did later. And we traveled all over the world, all over the country. We hiked uh, the John Muir Trail. We camped all over the place. We uh, drove a camper van all over New Zealand. We um, went on a sailing adventure with our friends who were sailing from New Zealand to Fiji. We did all kinds of stuff that was, you know, the kind of stuff we had thought we would love to do one day, we mm -hmm. just did. That's what led us eventually to where we are now. Wow. Yep. So what made you make such a huge career change? You were at a peak of your career. What made you make that decision? Well, there are a couple things. And I actually wrote a blog post titled, Don't Quit Your Job to Travel the World. Because, <laughs> because while, while it was the right thing for me, and it was the right thing for my wife and I together to do, it's not the right thing for everyone. Now I'll explain what, what, what led me to that decision. The first was the realization that I was... So I was at my last job for almost 14 years, and it was great, but I was a different person in my early 30s than I was when I was 20 years old, which is when I started working mm -hmm. at Microsoft. I valued different things. When I was in my early 20s, I, all my friends were my coworkers. Um, free time, I was doing my work because there was no separation of work and play. It was all the same thing. Yeah. And... My, my life was really great. I mean, if I worked late, it was fine because all my friends were at work and we were doing the kind of stuff we would do at home anyway. We'd you know, be playing with gadgets and building technology or talking about technology and that was the world. But as I grew older, I realized something and, and it only made, makes sense in hindsight now looking back on it that the life I was living in my 30s and what I valued in my 30s was different than what I valued when I was 20 or 22 or 25 or even 27. And after getting married and feeling like, well, I, my job meant a lot to me, but my values, I valued certain things a lot more in my later in life. I valued my freedom. I valued um, the ability not just to, I mean, money mattered and it still does matter, but it it mattered to a less degree and matters now to a less degree than it did back then. So my value started to shift, which made me realize that while the job was great, mm -hmm. it wasn't the great right job for me at that point in my life. So, you know, when anyone's values shift, they need to listen and ask themselves, if these values are shifting, how do I then live a life in line with my values? So for me, freedom and contribution and knowledge are among the top values of my life. Now, freedom always wasn't my top value, but it is now, and it was when I left Microsoft. 
and I just needed to have more freedom in my life. And I also wanted to make a direct contribution to people. And building technology, you impact lots of people, but I was craving one-on-one making a difference in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And while I could devote time and resources from a charity perspective to do that, I was craving a direct impact and directly working on that and having a one-on-one impact. Wow. So how does one know their values because i feel like a lot of people don't even know what their values are how did you learn what your values were and how did you implement that in your life well you know it's what led me to my current career i had worked with a coach and i had worked with a coach that was well one was actually assigned to me from microsoft and another i sought out on my own Mm. and through working with a coach my coach would ask me questions like you know what do you really care about and the very simple questions What do you really want out of your life? How do you want to be remembered? What do you really care about in your work? What do you really care about in your relationships? What activities have meaning for you? Um, How has that changed over time? What were some of the moments in your life where you've really felt a sense of flow, a sense of contribution, a sense of, uh, you know, a value of -hmm. what you were doing? What have you learned from those experiences? Now, all of those are questions that, are innocent and simple questions until you really sit with them and see what the answers are. So for me, I had worked with coaches and also gone through my own personal development experiences where I got clear on what I valued. And, you know, for whatever reason, I've been a fan of psychology and personal development since I was in my teens. And so as I've gone through my career, I've sought out experiences to help me understand, okay, what is it that I really care about and want out of my life? And so for me, it became obvious when, okay, my values are starting to shift. And one of the signals was for me, I was feeling a sense of, it wasn't unhappiness, but I was feeling unsettled. I was feeling like, okay, there's something more here that I can offer to the world, something bigger for me in the world. And I just felt unsettled. Like, the path I was on was no longer the path I needed to be on. And I didn't know what was next. I didn't know I wanted to be a coach. I just knew that I wouldn't figure it out staying where I was. was. And that's what led me to take a step back so I can get a bigger view and maybe some bigger awareness around my life, my career, and what I really wanted. There was also something that I realized that, you know, because I was doing it later in my career, I had savings and I had, you know, I realized that the only thing stopping me from taping a step back from my corporate career was fear. <laughs> because the truth was, and even I had some some friends telling me this and, and also my wife saying, you know, you can always leave, take a break and come back if you want, right? And I, and I thought about it and I, that never crossed my mind. I thought, well, I always thought if I left, that was permanent and that was scary to me. It was fearful. But then when I really realized, look, it's a win-win situation. I can take a step back. And if I want to go back to where I was, I could. Or if I found something different, that's fine too. And the only thing standing between me and that decision was fear. And once I came to grips with that, that didn't make it easier, but at least I knew what I was dealing with. And... And, and then I just, you know, made it happen. <laughs> do you, so. At this uh, time in your career, do you think you'll, you'll ever go back to corporate America? It's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. I mean, one of the things I've realized, if you would have asked me, you know, 
five, ten years ago, would I be doing what I'm doing now? I would have sort of laughed. <laughs> so I always saw myself as someone who was, you know, building technology and doing that kind of thing. But so who knows? Who knows? Um, I'm loving what I'm doing now. And the reason I love it is because I believe it's a necessary thing. I think there are a lot of people working in great companies that are unhappy or they're working in jobs that from the outside, they have every reason to be really, really grateful and happy. They're paid well, they're working in great companies, and they have all these perks. And yet what I witness, especially in my coaching practice, is people who are working harder and harder, but they're feeling more and more burned out. So they're mm-hmm. burning out instead of lighting up. And I, I, what I feel is that through things like coaching, which are all about developing self-awareness and helping people connect with what they value so they can re- rekindle the, the spark of joy in their work, that if there were more people getting coaching, that we'd have a much happier workplace, we'd have more productive work- workers, more creative workers. And yes, we'd also have some people realize that the career they're in is the wrong one and make a change. But I view, so I view it as an unmet need, an opportunity, and so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Now, maybe one day there will be a company that has a mission that's aligned with what I do. And yeah, I'd love to you know, work with those companies maybe one day. But for now, I'm just enjoying <laughs> uh, me being me doing what I do. So for people, right, who want to not be burnt out but cannot afford coaching, what are some of the tips that they can use right now to take control of their lives? Hmm. Well, that's a great one. And the first question that I would ask anyone that I would speak with, including my clients, is what do you really want? And there's what a if certain they don't know what they want. Right, exactly. Ah, <laughs> bingo. Bingo. There's a certain power in sitting with the question. Sitting with the question, what would I like to have? What would be great? What would be neat? What do you, so the thing is, we don't have to treat it as we know the exact answer. I didn't know the exact answer when I left my corporate job. However, I did know, I, I knew what I didn't want, that was for sure. And I knew the type of feelings I wanted to have on a day-to-day basis, the experiences I wanted. I knew what kind of people I wanted to be around. I also had some ideas on what I might want. And it's incredibly empowering for someone to sit with that question. And I'm a fan of journaling. And I think for a lot of people, now not for everyone, I'd say I'm going to make up a number here, 80-90% of people writing down thoughts can help them unpack a problem that may seem very complicated and intractable and and help them see that it's able to be broken down. and, And they usually have more insights than they think on the problem. Now for some people, writing actually may be more confusing and actually mm-hmm. not helpful. So if someone's listening to this and, and is starting to write and it's more confusing, don't worry about it. You don't have to do it. But if you're in the other 80%, write down a simple answer to the question. What would you like to have happen? You know, if you can wave a magic wand a year from now, what would you like your life to be like? Really, what would you like your life to be like? And then a follow-up question to that is, why would you like that to happen? Because oftentimes, we think we want something, but then when we ask ourselves, okay, why does it matter? We realize the thing we wanted isn't really the thing, so we can go back and revise it. So those two are powerful questions that can help someone get a sense of some sense of clarity or at least direction in 
what they'd like to move towards and also what they might want to move away from. And this isn't a, you know, it's not like they, it's a, you know, a decoder ring that's going to give them the exact job they should step into, but it's going to help frame the problem so you know what you're going to start with. So those are the first two questions that will help orient. And then the next is, what can I do right now within my power that's going to move me forward? And moving forward might even be uh, just a better sense of clarity on, on the career. Maybe you have no idea. So let's say someone did this. They wrote a page. What do I want my life to be like in a year? And they wrote like two or three pages, but it's still not clear. And then they ask, okay, why do I want that? Well, they don't know the answer to the first question, so the second is still not clear. Well, another thing to ask is, what can I do right now within my power to help move myself forward? Because we all, even if we don't know the final answer, can figure out one or two clear steps to take forward. You know what's the biggest problem? I mean, I think that's one of my biggest problems, too, that we think our lives should change like completely in a day. And we don't give enough credit for small habits that we can make right now that could be so useful. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can, if you grow, if you grow a business, even, um, you know, 2%, 2% growth every month over the course of three years will double a business. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So 2% growth every month over the course of three years will double a business. Pretty remarkable. Wow. And and so compound returns, you know, which is a concept in finance, mm-hmm. apply to our life too. And sometimes, here's a great example. You know, we all know someone, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe probably five or six people who seem to know us well. And whenever we have a conversation with them, we come away with some new idea, new perspective, new insight. We all know those kinds of people. And Often those people may be a friend or they may be a colleague or some old classmate or something. That's a great way to get unstuck. I encourage my clients to not try to think themselves out of the problem, but just understand what they're dealing with, understand mm-hmm. what they value and care about, and engage with the world. Have conversations with people who are perhaps leading a career that you're curious about, who are living a life that you're interested in living. Okay. Understand what they like about it what they find challenging about it. What advice would they have for someone like you who is interested in pursuing that direction? I want to get back to like, because you changed your life completely in like a blink of a second. And me being someone from like South Asia and, you know, you being first generation, what was your family's reaction when you decided to (laughs) quit your job at Microsoft in a really... Uh high-level job and just travel for a year. And how did you convince your wife? Well, my wife is a free spirit. Mm-hmm. And my wife is, she is, you know, I, I I joke with her. I live in the future. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we'll be sitting and, and I'm just daydreaming about the future. It's always, <laughs> it's just been how I am. I'll just daydream about scenarios in the future and what we might do or all this stuff. And she's very present focused. And she tends to look at problems that I might obsess over and just think, oh, what's the worst that can happen? We'll just go back to what we were doing before. And she has a very innocent way of looking at problems I might view as really, really hard problems. Uh And so for her, you know, this wasn't, this didn't take any convincing. I mean, it was 
we just sat down and talked about it. And she's like, oh, yeah, totally. Let's do it. And if guess what? <laughs> it, guess what? If our travels, if we end up hating each other while we're traveling or we don't like traveling, we'll just come back home. Or while well, we were renting our house out, we sold our stuff. She's like, oh, we'll come back. We'll just rent an apartment. It'll be fine. And so that was for her. I'll say this, and this is why it's important that everyone, whoever's trying to listening, and if you're trying to create something mm-hmm. in your life, mm-hmm. that you have some people around you that you can work with to help and, and also to serve as a sounding board. And for me, that's always been coaches. And I also have had mentors through my entire career. But I found that it can be very hard for close friends and family members to want to see you change, even if the change is something you really want. And for me, I experienced that firsthand. My family and friends all love me, Mm -hmm. but none of them wanted to see me hurt, Mm -hmm. lose an income, give up a career track. That was great. And so I knew I was going to face resistance from my family and friends, and I did. I mean, it was it was not an easy conversation, then. It, but I was also an adult, so I knew I could make the decision on my own, and I was stable financially, so it was fine. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't I wasn't expecting my family to be supportive of my decision because they just didn't <laughs> understand. Uh-huh. They didn't understand, and I just had to trust that it was the right thing for me. Now, in hindsight, because I finished my travels. In early 2014, Mm -hmm. so I've been settled now for, gosh, almost three years, two and a half, almost three years. Mm -hmm. Now, when, in fact, my mom was just visiting, we just bought a house here in Colorado, and she was visiting last week for the whole week, and she's so proud of what we did. She's so proud of the travels and the experience. She talks about, you know, we went all over Southeast Asia and all over the U.S., and so in hindsight, my family's proud of the experience. But at the time, it was very difficult. So it's something where, and this isn't unique for people quitting their jobs, people making job changes, deciding Mm on career changes of any kind. It can be tough to look for validation from people who are really close to you. They just don't want to see you hurt. And so find the people who, they may be friends, they may be coaches who really don't have, all they want is to see you happy even if it means taking some risks. And I've always found those people as being people who know me, but they're not the closest friends. <laughs> mm, that's true. And how long did you think about it? And how long did it take you to convince yourself? I was thinking about it for um, years and years. The idea would pop into my head for mm-hmm. a couple of years. But I, I always said, oh, I'll just go and, you know, travel for a couple weeks and it'll be fine. And that's what I did. I would usually take a week or two every year and go somewhere uh, exotic, try to visit a new country or two, that kind of thing. But it really came up in December of 2012. So from the time I really had this feeling of unease, Mm -hmm. I wasn't settled. I knew, okay, something had to shift to the time I actually did it. It was a nine-month process. Oh, wow. It was a nine-month process. I thought the answer was, oh, I need to change my job inside my company. I thought that was what I needed to do. And then I realized, okay, that wasn't what I needed to do. I needed to just take a step back. And and then I just made it happen. And because at the time I was managing a team, I also had to time it so that my team wasn't disrupted. So from the time I got the idea to the or the feeling to the time I pulled the trigger, it was nine months. 
So what was like reaction in Microsoft? I mean, you're managing a team, like you're working in Microsoft Office and you know, you've been there for like more over a decade. What was people's reaction when you were just giving up every single thing that you had worked for so long? Here's the funny thing. It's, 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 I, I sort of left. People have their own lives to live, mm-hmm. lives to live. And part of what made this hard for me was I felt like it would be a big deal. But here's what I saw. Mm-hmm. I saw that everyone's busy. Everyone has their own life. Mm-hmm. And with a company, while everyone's valuable, if you step away, other people will step up. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So while there was a little bit of a surprise, like, oh, wait, you're really leaving? Um, why would you not stay for the next promotion or go to another team or do something? There were some of those conversations, but what I noticed was once I left after a few weeks of people calling and checking in and seeing what I was doing next, mm-hmm. life went on. I mean, <laughs> you know, a new a new leader came in to take my job and, you know, the company just rolled on. So, you know, it wasn't as big a deal as I envisioned it in my mind. Well, people were surprised, sure, yeah. uh, but, you know. I think that's with like everything in life. Yeah. yeah. So how many countries did you travel to? Well, we were traveling, like I said, for almost a year and a half. We 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 didn't know. We bought one-way tickets to India because my wife hadn't seen my family there since mm-hmm. our well, since we had been married. So we bought one-way tickets to India with the idea of we'll wing it, totally wing it unplanned. <laughs> and we thought we'd be home in six months and restart our careers. And as we got going, we a couple things. We went to India. We went through Southeast Asia, Thailand, uh, Malaysia. Uh, we we were going to do, do more Southeast Asia, but we really didn't plan stuff. And when we heard that we had both a very good friend living in Tasmania who had moved yeah. there mm-hmm. and another friend who was sailing around the world and they were in New Zealand, we changed our plan and went to New Zealand and spent quite a while in New Zealand went to Tasmania off the coast of Australia and we actually sailed with our friends from New Zealand to Fiji which was a week long ocean sail oh, and then wow. from Fiji we came back to the US because we had two dogs <laughs> that were being taken care of mm-hmm. and we realized that you know there's a lot to see in our own backyard here in the US mm-hmm. and we were missing our dogs and we wanted to be with them and so we flew back and we essentially road tripped the US for a long time uh wow. for for gosh 6 9 months I mean, we drove all over we camped everywhere as much as we could we camped and we did long hikes uh, and that was our experience so what was the best international travel and what was like yeah. the best part of like traveling around the U- US like yeah so i'll say this thailand is amazing and Thailand is amazing because it's got an amazing culture, beautiful Buddhist temples. You have the mountains up in Chiang Mai, which are gorgeous. You have obviously amazing beaches. If you want parties, there's party beaches. If you want calm beaches, which is what I like, mm-hmm. they've got those. And it's very affordable. We were living, you know, we we were traveling as if we were college students. So we backpacked, we stayed in hostels, we... We wanted that experience. Mm -hmm. And what turned out was that's all we needed. (laughs) And in Thailand, we lived 
for $10 a person per day, we were living like kings. We were eating great food. We're essentially plant-based, so we don't eat any meat. And we had amazing fruits, <laughs> amazing vegetables. Thailand was really fantastic. Um, if someone had, say, two weeks and they wanted to travel somewhere, I'd say Thailand is a fantastic place to go. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., the highlight of our experience was we hiked for three weeks along the John Muir Trail. It's a 200 and some mile rugged trail that starts in Yosemite Valley mm-hmm. and ends ends at the top of Mount Whitney um, near Death Valley. So it ends at the top of Mount Whitney, then you have to climb back down. It was a three-week adventure in some of the most amazing rugged wilderness you'll find in the world. And we met some amazing people and just had a blast hiking and you know, it's also super uh, obviously affordable. You just have a backpack and food, and <laughs> that's <Wow>. it. <laughs> so that was the U.S. If you don't mind me asking, how much yeah. did you guys spend like throughout traveling for this long? Oh yeah, I wish I added it all up. In fact, I think I did, and I don't. I don't exactly remember. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. I'll say this. There are. Here's what we learned. We thought we'd be super unique traveling for this long. The more we traveled, the more we realized it wasn't that unique. There are a lot of people, particularly, we met a lot of people from Germany, a lot of people from Russia, mm-hmm. who are traveling on an extended basis. And they were making it work. They didn't have large savings. They were, many were in New Zealand actually working for the season, working on farms and, and making some money to save up. But if you're smart about what you do, you can travel affordably. I mean, mm-hmm. Thailand is a great place. Ten bucks a day per person might stre- might be a little tough, but twenty bucks a day per person, you can live very well. Wow. And camping in the U.S., we, you know, uh, campsites were either ten or fifteen bucks a, a night, or there are free. You know, the government owns land where you can camp for free. Wow. And if you know where those spaces are, you can go and have a great amazing campsite with picture postcard views for free and we have our camp stove and our tent and so really our expense was gas primarily the the major expense obviously is plane tickets flying around from place to place Mm -hmm. um i mean that's something i want to do once in my life just travel for a year and truly truly live and it's just amazing to see people who have actually done that and just listing stories. Do you regret doing it or are you 100% content that you did that? I'm 100% content and I'll say this. I, I actually think regret is healthy. I think regret is how we learn. Um, so there are you know, certain things I do regret if I look at my life, but the travel I don't regret at all. Mm-hmm. Now, if I were to do it again, I would do it a little differently. Mm-hmm. But In what aspect? Well, yeah, I would, I would have focused a few months in we realized that we were happiest spending more time in fewer places. Mm. And uh, the first question people ask me when when they realized I took a gap year is, how many countries did you visit? In fact, I think you asked me that <laughs> as well. But it's a comment, like everyone does. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't know, and I could probably add it up. It's not. It's a handful. But it's not the number of countries that matter. You can go to one country and have an amazing time. Mm-hmm. In fact, you could stay in your own country and have an amazing time. And I realized that when we slowed down the pace of travel and spent more time in a place, walking around, getting to know people, meeting people at the hostel, 
and just chilling, that was when I was happiest, my wife was happiest, we learned the most. And so I would have started not with the mindset of let's try to maximize each day. It would be mm-hmm. more of let's just spend time in fewer places. But I don't regret at all taking the time away. I I would not have been able to make the shift from what I was doing before to what I'm doing now had I not changed not only left my job but changed my environment. For many people, if anyone's feeling stuck, sometimes a change of environment can help, even if it's for a day. Absolutely. You, know, you, you can drive up to a cabin. You can drive up to the mountains. You can Airbnb for a weekend. You can you know, go visit a new town. Just drive to the next town that you've never been to and check out the new cool restaurant in that town. Get out of your normal routine, and it helps you see things differently. And for me, travel does that. And if I ever feel like I can't think my way out of a problem, mm-hmm. if I go on a travel, and it could mean just go on a hike, visit something new, yeah. that, that always helps me get, if not an answer, get close to it. Yeah, so. I think that's so useful. Um, and we don't even think about it, you know, because we're so stuck in a pattern that sometimes you need to do something like traveling or doing something out of the norm to break that pattern and think more clearly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I feel like you are someone who knows your why. Like you said, you know, the reason you changed your career and you're doing what you're doing is because you know your values and you know your why. So for someone like who is a student who is like 19 or 20 and who is having a really hard time finding their why, what uh-huh. would be some steps um, that they can take? Yeah. Well, a couple things would be get in touch with you care with what you care about. Uh, and many people view their idea of let's talk about careers. Mm-hmm. They view it as a path. And I don't know what visual you have as a path, but when I hear career path, I, he- I think of, okay, I've got the forest and I have one path. And I need to find it and stay on it. And if I get off the path, then I'm stuck in the forest and I may get lost and never found again. And I think that's a bad metaphor because we can have many paths. And guess what? Paths crisscross. And if you get off trail, you can find a better one or a newer one. And the truth is, I think some of the latest statistics are, you know, people who graduated college 10 years ago, LinkedIn did some research. And I think they had something like, four to five jobs in their first 10 years. It's something like that. It might be six. It might be four. Four to four to six jobs in 10 years. I had one company for almost 14 years, but I had five very different jobs, mm-hmm. very different jobs. And so the truth is careers are more flexible and mobile than ever. Technology is making that possible. New industries are making that possible. So if someone's trying to get in touch with, oh, what do they care about? What's their value? I would just start about what do you care about? What do you really care about? And it may be a bunch of stuff. It may be a few things. And it doesn't have to be perfect. But if you start there, you're going to be moving in the right direction. And guess what? It can change. Just like me, it changed. So I'd start there. What do you really care about? Now, if you want to take that to the next step and figure out how do I take what I care about and turn it into a career, uh, I sort of think about three things that are helpful to line up figure out what might be a good career. The first is obviously, what do I care about? People call this all kinds of things, passion, interest. I think the the advice of just following your passion is blind advice because 
Lots of people do that and they end up broke and that's not good. Yeah, I feel like the uh, word passion is overused too. Yeah, totally. I, I like what do you care about because, you know, look, it's not like I step into my office every day co- to coach people and I'm jumping up and down like I'm at a rock concert. I'm so <laughs> excited. That's not how it is, but I deeply care about it. Mm-hmm. So what do you care about is the first question. It's a good thing to journal and write down. And then the second question is, what am I good at? And the truth is, wherever we have skills, even if our skills aren't perfect, we all have some level of skill that is above average. That, that you can work on, like mindset. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. Like, what are the things your friends might come to you for advice on? Mm-hmm. What are the things that your old bo- your bosses used to tell you you're you're good at? What do you think you're good at? So there's an element of where are you skilled? That's question number two. So what do you care about? Number one, where are you skilled? And the last is an important one, which is, where is there a need? Because Mm -hmm. you can have a great skill and you can have, you can care about something. But if there's no need in the world for someone like that, or if you can't connect to it, then you can, you can still do it, but maybe it's a hobby. (laughs) So if you can line up your care, your passion, your interest with what you have skill and where you believe there's a need, Usually the intersection of those things will result in a handful of options that you can start playing around with. Mm-hmm. And and that's sort of the way I would I would start the process of figuring out what's the right direction to head in for a career. Yeah, and I don't think you necessarily need to quit your job and travel the world no. to f- do that. You could have your job while figuring these things out. Yeah, and I would advise that people not quit their job. Um, <laughs> And that people, because here's the thing, what you care about, I mean, have you had, have you ever had, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Have you had something that you're so interested in that you do it even outside of work? Like I mean, you come this right and, now. <laughs> boom, exactly. You're doing this now. You uh-huh. have a day job, you're doing it now. Mm-hmm. Now, we all have things like that. For example, for me, while I worked full-time at Microsoft, I was traveling and had a busy job. I was a yoga teacher. Wow. I was a, a certified yoga teacher. I taught two to four classes per week, practiced every day. It was my lifestyle. It was not work. I'd On Mondays, I'd leave work at 4.30. I'd leave early wow. to go to the studio, and I'd teach two back-to-back 90-minute classes. So then I'd finish teaching at 9 o'clock, and then I'd go home. I invested in my own personal development and coaches and trainings on my own. I... Uh, sought out my own coaches. I used to mentor people at Microsoft, used to come to me. Now, all of those things told me that, okay, some element of me doing something for a career Mm -hmm. around people development makes complete sense because that's what yoga was to me. That's what mentoring was to me. Mm -hmm. And I did all that stuff on my own. And so that told me if I care about it that much to do it after hours, nights and weekends, I can make a career out of it. So that's what I would recommend. People, you know, chase the thing they care about while they have the job and see where it leads. Absolutely. I think I read your article. You said multitasking is not a virtue. Explain a little bit on that. I feel like in today's, like, generation, we are all about multitasking. So why do you think that multitasking doesn't work? Yeah, I think my title was uh, a bit more severe than... The way you put it, it was like (laughs) multitasking is destroying your life or something like that is what I said. (laughs) Well, well, I wrote it because 
Um, where do we even begin with this? <laughs> it's we are in a world where it's never been easier to be interrupted, and at the same time, it's never been more important for people to do really high quality, meaningful work. Because mm-hmm. we have lots of people, we have you know, billions of people on the planet moving in, lots of people moving into the workforce. We have competitive environments where the way to really succeed is to not just fit in, but do things that are exceptional and to do things that are unique. And I'll argue that tweeting, unless tweeting is your job, is not those things. So how do you create the space and time to create meaningful work while it's never easier to be interrupted? It's a challenge. It is such a challenge. I mean, I've been meditating for seven years and I have like lately, especially like during this podcast, I have such a hard time focusing. And when you try to focus when you're meditating, it's it, it feels like your head is about to explode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I wrote this because... I mean, if you look at how I think some research was done on on people who win, I forget the source of this research, mm-hmm. um, but people who are Nobel Prize winners or Nobel nominated, they did research on how many hours per day uh, do they spend doing their work, focused on their work. And if you had to guess a number for these are people at the top of the top of their field, how much work are they doing per day? What number would you guess? How many hours per Four? day? Like yeah. focused work for, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you're, I mean, you've obviously read some of the things and, and are in tune with it. Most people would say, oh man, they're working 12 hours a day. I don't think because, it's possible to work straight up focus for 12 hours. Right, right. But the, here's the point. Most people think working dawn till dusk is a good thing. Not most, many people. That putting in more hours is better, results mm-hmm. in a better outcome. Now, if you look at the research that says, well, three to four hours is what people at the top of their field are spending on their important pro- important work, I think that gives us all a bit of leeway to ask, okay, if, I, if that's what it takes to be at that level, then how can I carve out a couple hours a day to do something deep and rewarding? So that's, that's sort of where the, so, this goes. And I feel like everyone has felt that flow in their yeah. life, like in a moment they feel like, oh, they're in the zone. Is there a way that they can get in that zone, like prep themselves to get in that zone so they can have that focused hour or two hours a day? Uh, uh, so all I can share is what works for me. Uh, like if I had a pill that would get people in the zone <laughs> or routine, <laughs> routine, I'd be doing it. I, I think we all can be our own own best guinea pig of being aware of our own life Mm-hmm. And when we do great work and what takes us away from it mm-hmm. and just be aware of it. For me, I know I do my best work before 8 a.m. And that between 5 and 8 a.m., it's easier to get in the flow. I'm not distracted. I am more creative. Mm-hmm. And it's not guaranteed. But I know if I get up, get up at 5 and I've gone, which means going to bed early. Mm-hmm. So I go to bed between 8 by 8 o'clock, I'm in bed reading, and by 9 o'clock, I'm asleep. And I, if I get up by or earlier than 5, that I at least have those initial conditions mm-hmm. in place where flow is probably going to happen more often than not. And so that's what I do. I've realized that, I've learned that, and I have my schedule so I can do that. So you have your phone off and everything that three hours? Yeah, my phone's on. Do not disturb. So I use an iPhone. Don't hate. I know I'm a Microsoft person, <laughs> but, but what... You know, I'm using an iPhone now. 
And I put Do Not Disturb on the iPhone, uh-huh. and it's not even in arm's reach. It's plugged. It is in my bedroom, but my bedroom's pretty big, and it's not even reachable. And I don't even look at it. Uh-huh. I don't have a laptop in bed. Which look, I used to have my laptop in bed with me. I used to sleep, and my laptop was right next to me. That's wow. how crazy. So I don't do that anymore. And that's it. And I just get up, and I know if I get up and show up, and for me, it's cup of tea or coffee lately it's been coffee Mm -hmm. and i have my pad of paper or my laptop open to just a blank blank basically document and i write so that's how i start my day i'm just writing and drinking my coffee writing and drinking my coffee and that's it and that's how i start my day do you have a morning ritual uh, or something that you um, do every single day yeah i do i i wake up I do a meditation. I walk downstairs. I make the coffee, and then between five and seven a.m., I'm doing all that stuff. I'm, you know, brushing my teeth, meditating, writing. Um, occasionally, so yesterday, for example, I didn't write. I read just because I didn't feel like writing. Most of the time, I have a pad and paper, and I'm just writing whatever comes to mind: ideas for a blog post, thoughts about something, ideas for coaching clients I'm working with. Whatever it is, I'm just writing. And by the time, you know, quarter to seven, seven o'clock rolls around, I make a smoothie. I have a smoothie every day for breakfast. I've been doing that for a long, long time. And between seven and eight, I do whatever. I might play with my dog. You know, my wife is up. We chat. And then by eight o'clock, I'm usually starting my day, which involves me working from my home office and working with clients because I work with people who are mostly – Technology professionals who are un- looking to unlock something big in their life and their career. And most of my clients are on the West Coast, though I have some scattered all over the country now. And so I have client calls, and that's what I do. I, I'm on Skype you know, three to eight hours a day, and I have some other things I do in between, and that's what I do. Wow, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Ravi, I just want to do some rapid-fire questions just to get to know you a little bit better. Sounds good. Let them let them roll. <laughs> yes. Um, so, if you could be one person for a day, who would you be and why? One person for a day. So, I've thought about this before. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about this before. Uh, so it's funny that you asked the question because it wouldn't be a person. I would be my dog. Aww. And here, here's why. Because one of the things I, I believe the value in coaching or or working with other people who have different experiences is expanding awareness. Mm-hmm. I think that if we can just get a little broader awareness of our situation, that we'll be able to find the solution to whatever problem we need, mm. we have to solve. And, you know, dogs have sense of smell that's hundreds of times greater than humans, hearing that's hundreds of times greater. They see the world differently. And I would just love, hey, I'd love to know what Duke, my dog, is thinking. <laughs> Or if he is or not. And and then I just want to get a sense of what is that awareness he has of the world that I think is a certain way, but he's clearly seeing differently. So it's not a human, but I would I would pick Duke. <laughs> that's, that's, I was not expecting that answer, but that's amazing. Um, what do people never ask you that you wish they did? I wish they would. So there's this thing that happens. Um, whenever you meet other humans, other people, mm-hmm. and say, hey, how's it going? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a given day, if I'm out and about and I run into people that I know, they'll say that a lot. And 
And what I really wish is not that anyone's being disingenuous mm-hmm. because I do it too. I say, hey, how are you going? But I don't get the sense people really want to know. <laughs> That's so true. I was thinking about it at my work too. Like, oh, how are you? And people look like they're, it's Monday and everyone's miserable. And they're just like, oh, good, good. Like, it's you know, it's just like mandatory, but no one really <laughs> means what they're saying. Yeah. And I just wish someone would ask it and then really be present and want to know. So that's it. That would be pretty cool. I have some people in my life who are like that, though. And I also think sometimes <laughs> I wish we asked different questions. Like, instead of, hey, how are you? Instead of that, like, oh, what are you excited about? Or what do you love in your life? You know? What are you looking forward to this week? Or, you know, what's the highlight of your week so far? What's the highlight of your day so far? That would be cool. Yeah, different yeah. questions. Uh, what's your favorite movie or uh, documentary that you would like to recommend to our listeners? Well, I'll tell you the most recent one I watched mm-hmm. a couple of days ago. There's a Netflix documentary on Magnus Carlsen, okay. who is reigning world chess champion, or at least he was at the time of the documentary. Mm-hmm. I believe he defended the title the year after. And it's just a story of what a human being is capable of. He's clearly very, very gifted, has been from a young age, but it tells the story of how he got to where he is at the peak of his field, which is chess. And it was just inspiring to see, okay, wow, the human mind can actually do that. That's pretty amazing. And not that, not that I would ever come close to anywhere near (laughs) what he's doing, but but I just think it's, it's, well, when you watch the movie, I think I know for a fact, I'm willing (laughs) to say that when you see some of the things he's, he's able to do, um, it's just remarkable. And I came away inspired and thinking, wow, I don't need to be like that, but maybe I have something like that in me in another field. Do you think and some things like that is gifted or do you think that could be cultivated? Well, the, what's interesting about that, I don't know, but that documentary shows that from his very, very young age of like two years old, three years old, he was demonstrating things that were very unique. Mm. That his brain just seems to be developed. Now, no doubt, he also trained like crazy, Mm -hmm. and they show that. But I think it's a, in that particular skill, it was a combination of factors. (laughs) And I don't think, uh, I could train for 50 years, and I don't think I'd get to where he is, um, or even close. Uh, But that's okay. Maybe there's another thing that, again, I don't. I also don't care as much about it. That's true. I mean, you probably could if you just focus for like what six hours instead of four. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I know you read a lot. What are some of the books that you would like to recommend to our listeners that could, you know, help them, or books that you actually enjoyed reading? Yeah. So I'll share two of the books I've read in the past month. I read about a book a week. Oh, I wow. love to read, and you know, I don't watch a ton of te- TV aside from Netflix. And so I'm about a book a week and two books I've read recently. One is I just finished yesterday. It's called the power of meaning Mm. crafting a life of purpose is the subtitle, the power of meaning. It's by Emily Smith and she has a longer middle name that I don't remember. Emily Smith. And the book I picked up at the library, and I thought, oh, it's just going to be one of those feel-good, positive psychology books. Oh, well. And I was amazed with how, A, how well-written it was, mm-hmm. B, how it integrates a lot of the research in positive psychology into this idea of what is a meaningful life. 
And the stories she tells are pretty awesome. And I think anyone who's dealing with the idea of what should their career be, what is their passion, what should they do, what is a meaningful life, it's it's a really interesting book to read, and it's easy to read too. It's very well written. So The Power of Meaning, that's one book. The second book I read is a book called When Breath Becomes Air. It's by Dr. Paul Kalanithi. Um, it's been recommended by Bill Gates. Um, it's a tearjerker, so in a good way. It's the story of a the chief resident of neurosurgery at Stanford who six months before he finishes his residency and becomes a full-fledged neurosurgeon gets a tragic diagnosis of severe lung cancer. And, of course, he's married. And so the book is his his memoir. of from the time he got the diagnosis to the time he passed away of his story. And it's, it's just, it deals with the question of what is a meaningful life Mm -hmm. and what that meant for Dr. Kalanithi. So, you know, it's, it's a powerful, powerful story. And it's the kind of story it's very short. Well, it's 150 pages. It's not very big, but I had to put it down. It took me a couple weeks to read because I was constantly closing the book and thinking, (laughs) (laughs) And just needed needed a break. It's that kind of book, but I highly recommend it. I have that book in my room. My sister is a pharmacy student. Oh, okay. So she reads. She recommended me Checklist Manifesto. I love that book. Um, and she was like, I think you'll really like it because she reads books about doctors and everything. And yeah, I, I've been meaning to read that book for a long time. But what's your one favorite book of all time? My favorite book of all time. I love The Alchemist by Paolo. Coelho, mm-hmm. because it's a uh, uh, 80% of what I read is nonfiction, but that's mm-hmm. a fiction book that captures a lot of the nonfiction themes of what I read, which is the idea of growth, transcendence, discovering your path, finding meaning. All of those things are wrapped up in a great fiction story that's very well told, and I've gifted that book to too many people. I can't even count. <laughs> I've sent it as birthday gifts and Christmas gifts, and so that would be the one. If I had a desert island book, I would take that with me. That's a beautiful book. Um, What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Uh, I would tell my 20-year-old self to um, explore, explore more and try more stuff. Do you think a 20-year-old self would have listened? My 20-year-old self would have said, <laughs> why? I know what I want to do. <laughs> why Why do I – like I know the career. I know I want to be here. I have it sort of planned out. So why would I deviate from that? Why would I do anything that slows me down is what my 20-year-old self would say. And I would say take more breaks. Use your vacation because <laughs> I used to always never use all my vacation. I, I always traveled. Mm-hmm. But I would also work a ton. So I would have exposed myself to just more experiences, um, more things. I would have tried more stuff mm-hmm. earlier. Now, in the end, I ended up finding stuff like yoga, like long-distance running and triathlons, and stuff I've gotten into over the years. But I just would have said, eh, just try stuff. Like That's the time to do it. Experiment, explore. So I've like interviewed a couple of people by now and everyone is into like 
marathon or like I mean one of the guy I interviewed last week he walked 30 miles every week and he's 71 why is it that people who are really successful are attracted to like high intense workout do you think I, yeah that's a fascinating thing and I have noticed it to be true you you find that I think it's I don't know. I, I think there's an element of flow that you get from doing exercise, particularly mm-hmm. endurance sports that once you've tasted it can be a little addictive. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I have some of my best ideas when I'm out on a run or a long hike. Um, it's a way to get perspective, get out of my logical mind and into the more creative mind. So perhaps there's some draw to it. It's a way for people that spend a lot of time in their head thinking to get out of that space and just sort of be present mm-hmm. because it's very hard to be thinking a lot, say when you're running uphill and huffing and puffing, <laughs> so it's a great way to just come back to reality. And so for me, that's what it is. That's true. Um, last question. What's your definition of courage? My definition of courage is, you know, the, I don't know who said it, feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm. That sounds, that sounds like a Brene Brown thing though. I don't know. I, I don't know who said it. I would say courage is acknowledging the fear, but acknowledging that it's the fear is fear is based on thinking and the thinking is just based on whatever stories we want to tell ourselves in our mm-hmm. heads. So if we can acknowledge that unless you're about to step on a snake, <laughs> they, they do have rattlesnakes in Colorado. So you have to watch out in mm-hmm. the summertime, mm-hmm. but unless you're about to step on a snake, usually if you're dealing with career or talking to someone or afraid of making a move or something that fear isn't real. It's based on your thinking. And if you just acknowledge that, sometimes the fear goes away. Sometimes it doesn't, but you can just do it anyway. So courage is, courage is just taking action in the face of fear. That's true. Ravi, if people want to find you in Facebook, Instagram, or your website, where yeah. should they reach out to you? Well, the best place to go, just go to raviraman.com. R-A-V-I-R-A-M-A-N.com. So it's my name, first and last. It has links to everything. You can join my newsletter. I'll send out once a week. I send out some tips and tricks on career and life growth stuff. And on my website, you'll see links to my Facebook, Twitter. So raviraman.com. I'm also, all my content on my blog also gets posted to medium.com. So if you're a fan of medium.com, you can search for my name and you'll see me and just follow me there and that's it. Uh, Ravi, it was so nice chatting with you. And I know you're a really, really busy man. And I'm so thankful that we could do this. So thank you for coming to my show. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Hey, you guys. Thank you so, so much for listening to this podcast. I really, really appreciate your time. And if you enjoyed this episode, then make sure to subscribe. Because every single week, I will come up with awesome and epic interviews like this one. And do not forget to check out my website, LimitlessGrid.com, for show notes.